Here we go. All right. I got an airplane going over me. Wait till this fuckhead goes. everybody welcome to another episode of lease and learned uh i am joined today by one of the best comedians in canada the top roast comedian he's also a podcaster and one hell of a dude ladies and gentlemen mr tyler morrison is here today hey thanks for having me jeff man thank Um, you for being here is that really the name of your podcast? Lease and learned. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even know the name. <laughs> no, I didn't even know you had a podcast. This is uh, well, this is all fresh to me. This is great. This is well, you're you're on it. I'm glad you agreed even before the the. Had you known the name, would you have said no? No, no, I'd be on for sure. <laughs> okay, good, <laughs> good man. So, how are things? How are you? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. Yeah, just taking it easy for now, waiting for things to open back up, but uh, kind of getting a little bit stir crazy you know yeah you're up in uh, muskoka right now yes yeah yeah so bracebridge and uh so i guess up there you have um you started the uh is it cottage cottage country comedy festival yeah that's correct yeah yeah and when did you uh when did you start that so i started the festival back in 2008 I believe that was the year 2008 It's 15 years ago. This is our 15th year. So, Oh, wow. We've been, it might've been 2007. I don't know. I was drinking a lot in the early years and the later years. And then in the middle <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> well, that's fair. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we started that back, uh, back when I was, I think I was 23 when I started the festival and just kind of looking for some, some bigger stages to play on with uh, some of my friends who are, you know, you know how it is in the Toronto circuit. You end up playing all these, these um, bar gigs where, you know, it's unreliable how many people are going to show up. And it's just a a nice treat to get on a theater stage every once in a while and feel like you're doing this for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, And so uh, how long have you been a uh, comedian now? So I, this is, oh my God, I must be going, I think I'm going into year 20. Um, yeah, wow. I started in the fall of 2002 when I was, I was 18. So yeah, I've been, been at it for a while. So did you start pretty much like near the end of high school or kind of right after high school was yeah. over? Yeah, right after high school was over, um, I went to the Humber College comedy program and that's where I started because the first three weeks of school or whatever they get you on stage at yuck yucks in toronto and uh so yeah the first time i ever did stand up there was 300 people at, at the club at yuck yucks and it went pretty good actually it was like that false sense of you know you're gonna make it <laughs> yeah holy shit 300 people your first show it was packed man it was, and you're 18 yeah and just thinking you're the greatest and <laughs> yeah holy so, shit chasing the dragon for a while after that it took you know you don't usually get them stacked up like that when you're that early in the game right so was that um daunting for you as an 18 year old knowing you have to go perform for that many people or was it just an exciting time 
It was exciting. I was just, you know what? I, I was so cocky when I first started that I just thought this is how it should be anyway. <laughs> like, like I totally <laughs> this is how it it's going to be the whole time? Yeah, just totally took it for granted. Then you find out pretty quick when you're playing at Kramer's Bar and Grill at Young and Davisville, hosted by the immortal David Rubin. <laughs> wow. Good friend. Um, they, yeah, when you, you get into doing the uh the open mics in the bars it's pretty soul-sucking after a while but i mean that's how you build your you test your metal right yeah yeah absolutely so uh what was the process like of getting into uh humber because it's it, i assume it was the school of like comedy writing and performance is that what it's called yeah yeah so the yeah the humber uh yeah i think think you nailed that <laughs> the um the program there so it's, it was a two-year um undergrad program that i took but the when you do you do an audition uh, in front of i think it was two people maybe three people in the room which is weird but i did like a yeah. kind of a monologue from like a comedy script that i wrote so it was it was dark comedy sort of thing and, and they were laughing so it went okay and then uh when I got in, I was like, okay, this is great. Because I just, um, I wasn't from the city. Uh, it was a nice opportunity to go and meet other like-minded people. It was kind of like a vacuum of creative types and uh, a lot of people from, from small towns. So um, it was their excuse to come to the city that their parents would understand. You know, it's hard to tell your parents, hey, I'm moving to a big city to do to become a comedian. Because that's not really, um, especially back then, it wasn't as popular of a, you know, of a choice, you know, a thing to go into. Now I think there's so many people that just take it for granted that you can just go on stage and go into it. The scene's evolved in yeah. a big way. And, and and I think we've been exposed a lot to a lot more stand-up comedy. Back then there was still a little bit of a mystique to it, whereas, you know, Twitter and um, you know, Instagram, just every just the amount of camera and access to comedians, I think that people have now and podcasts, especially podcasts bring you into the, the behind the scenes world of comedy a lot more than that didn't exist when I started. So there still was that mystique. So for people coming uh, from, you know, smaller communities or that don't just have the access to jump up on an open mic, you know, every night of the week people coming in there it's you know saying that you're going to college your parents are like oh at least i can get a you know at least they're going to college i guess you know they're going to get do something right it, it makes it more 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 palatable i think for for the families that are involved because if you don't have the support and i think i remember uh your it was your grandmother was a big supporter of yours was yeah it, my grand my whole family but yeah, yeah my grandma my mom especially mm -hmm. yeah yeah, so it was like I, I have that like my dad and my mom, they both support me in stand up comedy. They love that I'm you know, they, they love that that's what I'm doing. But I think, you know, you don't want your kid to have a tough road and right. comedy takes a long time to make a living at. And so I, I think that, you know, that the Humber College program was uh, was a really good way for to kind of ease into that for for some people, too. And and I met some of the you know some of my best friends that I ever, you know, met, you know, was through that program. So, and they're still doing comedy today. Like, I think there was 10 people from my year that they went on to have careers in comedy, whether it's stand up or outside of it, like, you know, just like wow. comedy adjacent or sketch or acting. Yeah. So. Wow. So once you graduate, like, uh, are, are you, how long is the program? It was a two-year program, and there's also a one-year program for people who've uh, a post-grad program. 
but uh, oh, okay. I was in the two year program and like most people get kicked out after year one, <laughs> they, weed, they weed them out really fast or they did when I was there. It was really funny seeing all the, you know, the people that weren't actually taking it seriously as a profession. Right. You see them get laid to waste. And uh, some of them <laughs> still went on to, to be successful in comedy because, you know, you don't necessarily need a program. I think it just, it depends on the type of personality that you are. Right. For sure. And, and also what, if you just want to be a stand-up comic, I mean, the best way to do stand-up is just go and do stand-up, but they offer so many other things. If you want to be well-rounded in the business, I found that that was so helpful. You know, the, the writing for television, acting for TV, you know, all those skills, improv, you know, everything that you kind of um, need, I guess when you're doing stand-up, uh, it opens doors for those other vocations. And, and I think having a little bit of training or understanding of how those things work, it, it certainly, you know, is an advantage on the, on the long, in the long run. What were you like in, uh, in high school? Were you like a class clown type? Were you in trouble oh, yeah. a lot? Yeah, I was a class clown for sure. I wasn't really in a, like, wasn't really in a lot of trouble. I think I get out of trouble. You know, I was a, I was a bastard. Right. Right. But I, uh, but I was like Ferris Bueller. I could talk my way out of it and let other people take the fall. Remember one time my, uh, my good friend and I, we were on the yearbook committee and there's this guy we didn't like, and he was like the audio visual guy. And, uh, he was just a, totally kissing the teacher's ass all the time and he'd, oh, he'd yeah. rat people out He's just such a nerd right the and, fucking av club yeah and so yeah. we i'm not gonna say his last name but i we changed his name in the yearbook to <laughs> av that was his first name and then his last name and so <laughs> which is so immature yeah. but it, but it was really funny because we're such dicks and uh it's funny to us at the time but then we get called down to the office i guess Did he get told, printed did, did yeah, they got print? printed. Yeah, we slipped it by, right? We were on the committee. We were the final say. And uh, so we slid that by and he called his, or he told his parents and then they called the office. I think it was our like graduating year too. So it was like, you know, extra shitty that we did that. <laughs> they got, so we get called down to the office and we're, we just played dumb. We're like, oh no, we didn't play dumb. We just go, oh my God, this happened to you too. Like, this happened to you also and they're like uh yeah we're like well this happened to us too someone got us and and we had changed our names in the yearbook to zach morris and thomas magnum <laughs> from save of the bell and magnum pi and uh That's so, awesome. so we somehow skated off the hook because we just played like we were also victims in this cruel prank but yeah they're just dumb high school shit you know immature for sure and uh and always looking to uh you know fuck with people i guess yeah tom green yeah just came out around that time and i was you know i love tom green and antagonizing people with a video camera <laughs> oh yeah absolutely that that's brilliant so do you do you have that yearbook where one of you is zach morris and the other is oh yeah which one were you i was thomas magnum <laughs> i love magnum pi and so was it only the three of you, you, you two, and then that the AV guy that that had I, their names changed? I think so. We might have changed oh, yeah. someone else. We like there's, I mean, there's a few dorks that we like to pick on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We uh, for sure it was us three. I don't know if we got anyone else. There might have been a couple. Man, brilliant! That's that's one of the that's one of the better high school pranks I've I've heard. 
So is, is that's forever. We get away with it. I mean, that guy, that the, that guy can't pull out a, his final yearbook. If he has kids or something, he can't like pull it out and be like, here's, you know, here's me, the AV guy. This is when that's I get brilliant. clowned on. Yeah. This is when, when they used to clown on me that, yeah. See, I mean, that type of stuff though, looking back on it, it's kind of amusing, but it's also, I don't know. I wish I was maybe a little nicer to people, but then yeah. again, I wouldn't be as funny as I am today if I didn't go too far at certain times and like you know you figure out exactly the temperature and how to do that without it being i don't know like harmful to people i guess what was the most trouble you got in uh in in high school like as a teenager trouble oh my god anything you ever did that was just like just caused uh uh either either legal trouble or just trouble with the parents that was like i can't believe you've done this I never got in legal trouble. Um, oh, what the, what did we do? Okay, there's a few things that we did. Um, we got into a fight with a cab driver at like this party, and then um, <laughs> and that, like nothing happened to us there. Like we we just had like a, an altercation, but it like got kind of violent. And, like people were other people at the party saw that we were getting into a fight with this cabbie and so then they started smashing up his car and oh, that shit. wasn't good then we left like there wasn't any like fist throwing or anything like that it was just like he was trying to stiff us over on on some uh, on the on the fair and uh so then we called <laughs> we called our one of our buddies and left a voicemail at his parents house pretending to be the cab company and saying that we're all getting charged and then he didn't get a hold of us before he talked to everyone else that was involved so everyone thought that they were getting in trouble uh for this cab incident but really it was us pretending to be the cab company (laughs) and so these two guys that were in our our close circle of friends they were driving back from like hockey or something with their dad was driving them and they go by my other friend's house that was with me that we made the call. And there's uh, there's police there for like some other some other reason. Like it wasn't like even a thing like uh, like a crime or anything. They're just there. A friend was a police officer and they see the police car in the driveway. <laughs> so these two guys just break down crying and like spill the beans to their dad, like tell the dad that they're getting charged. And you know, then they find out that they're not being charged. And now we're the assholes. <laughs> so that was funny and then another time like i think it was like one of my friends uh he had ten thousand dollars accidentally put into his bank account so we convinced him we got to go out and uh go party and we're taking this like horrible cab all over york region and it's york region's pretty far and we're just going to all these dumb places spending the money we went bowling and (laughs) i think we pissed away like 10 grand and then he had to pay it all back (laughs) oh Oh, that's awesome um (laughs) so so uh, once you're uh, once you're done at Humber, um, and you're and you're kind of getting getting into comedy, like what was the what was the path like after you're done the program? Do you do you just start doing open mics? Did you get did you have to get like a real job for a while? What was that like? Yeah, so I always while I was when I first started when I was in college and like right before I I was working at a gas station. Um, so I worked at a gas station for a while and then I was, uh, once I left, um, 
once I left Humber and stuff, then I started working, you know, landscaping jobs and I worked landscaping for a while, um, a little bit in Toronto and then mostly back, like when I moved back up to Muskoka. So I was working landscaping and that's when I started my festival. So I'm, you know, I'm on the phone at job sites talking to sponsors and, you know, like I'm selling sponsorship <laughs> while there's people jackhammer and shit and like just real blue collar, just making it happen, just doing whatever it took. And, oh, yeah. uh, I was fortunate that I had, you know, some good bosses along the way that understood, they understood I was never going to be a lifelong, you know, landscaping guy. I was always going to be, um, this is what I was always using it as a, a means to get, you know, established to, in my own field and then step into it, you know, right. Just to pay the bills. And they were always, they're usually pretty good about it. Um, as I'm actually wearing a landscaping hat right now. Imagine landscaping. My dad is in, uh, he, he just retired from a company called Unilock and Unilock is uh, the paving stone retaining wall company. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, that's where my family roots come from is landscaping and all that. So that's how I got into that stuff. But uh, yeah, I had like a really cool boss, Steve Good. He was the man, Steve Good. He totally, he knew I was a comic before I started working for him. So like he already liked my comedy. He knew it was, you know, that I was, he gave me the, the freedom to kind of come and go as I got those gigs. If I needed to take off a little bit early, cause I'm living a couple hours away from the city. So if I got to go down to Toronto for an important show, he gave me the, the free reign to go and, and do those shows. And I think it's important that you have a job like that where, you know, your boss is understanding that, you know, you're also trying to chase a dream too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I was just thinking, imagine landscaping sounds like a place that doesn't actually do any work. <laughs> they just yeah. tell you what it could look like. And then they're like, imagine this is what, so we're good. You can do it. No, no, not us. We're just telling you, you imagine it. And then we'll find a place for you to actually do it. It's like my, my other company, I was thinking about starting uh, two guys, one rake. And <laughs> This is my, my brother and I just one of us is hung over sleeping in the work truck and the other guys, you know, power bomb and leaves. <laughs> I'm, I'm in as an investor. If you ever, uh, yeah, <laughs> ever, I'll pay for half the rake if you need it. Yeah. Um, that's great, man. Do you, so what was, uh, what was the first time do you remember the first time that somebody actually paid you money to do comedy? Yeah. You know what? I think my first time, getting paid was a gig in Shelburne at the Legion. Oh yeah. And so it was like, it was a clean show and it was a whole bunch of comics who were from Humber. So it was Larry Horowitz, who was the, the guy who, who is the head of the stand-up department or the stand-up course at Humber. And uh, he was a comic for many years. Very, you know, like f funny dude, man, Larry Horowitz knows his shit. Like the business side of it, that guy taught me more than most people about, you know, about the business and everything like that. And Larry Horowitz uh, hooked us up with this gig at this Legion. And I think there was like 10 comics on there. And he wanted me to go last because I think I was a little bit more advanced than what was some of the other comics early on that were on the gig. And I got there and there's like, I forget who, who it was, but this guy was like, one of the comics was like, no, you're not, you're not going last. Like you're too dirty or whatever for the show. And, uh, oh, his name was, was, uh, was Heath Milo, I think was his name. And he, I remember him being a little prick about it. And, uh, so I'm like, all right, whatever. If you want. Sounds like an AV club member. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I never had a problem with him before that, but then I thought that that was kind of weak. 
And so I'm like, okay, if you want to follow me, then go right ahead, you know? And then yeah. I went, I remember going in the middle and I worked clean and I actually like, remember, cause I knew it was going to be a bunch of old people. I just kind of like, I wore like a, like a suit jacket. Like I looked yep. a little bit more professional than what college kids are going to look like the other ones on the show. And I just, I remember rocking the show and yeah. it was a downhill slide after that because, you know, you don't put the best in the middle, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's but valuable that first, advice that was the first time i got paid i think and uh and then after that um i've never done a free show since <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know that's that's a very common thing i i think a lot of uh people maybe outside of comedy or that have never really done this don't know don't don't quite understand that feeling of of uh having somebody go on before you or or even right before you or you know a few people before you that you just can't follow that's a very tough situation uh wouldn't know about it have you ever (laughs) have you i was just gonna say have you ever been in that uh that situation where some you were you were just maybe not quite ready to headline or somebody went on and just it doesn't even have to be not being ready to it could just be somebody catches fire on somebody it happens to follow it happens to any everyone i don't think i've ever been outclassed in the sense where like i don't do a good like a good job but i've definitely had people who on before me catch a hot one and it's like the crowd's already seen exactly what they needed to see right with that comic so especially with my personality of of i do a little bit darker kind i can be kind of like a villain so if they see if they're looking for a hero and they see a really you know friendly warm comic um yeah. the prime example and i've talked about this before is, is a guy like mike rita super funny fucking dude rita definitely got the better of me one night in hamilton and it was like they had just seen their savior and then i come on and i'm an asshole and so it's just right. like i was getting laughs but it was very like stop and start i just couldn't build momentum with them and i think i picked the wrong opener uh just there's a couple a couple things that happened in between him and me with the host said she was going to just bring me right on which was like okay now i'll just ride the momentum but then the host decided to do some time and then uh i still did the joke that i was planning to do to ride the momentum whereas i should have done a different joke to rebuild there's all these little it's a game of inches in in certain times you can really uh set yourself back like if you open with the wrong thing you know, you're yeah. digging out of a hole all of a sudden. And uh, and I was digging out of a hole on that show totally. But it's happened only a couple times that I can think of where I've been on last and I felt like, you know, oh, someone got me. You know, that, does, that doesn't happen often. So props to, you know, whoever whoever's done that. Uh, you, I'll you, fucking get you the next time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's always it's always good to have uh, it. Like if that does happen, it's always good if it happens on a weekend you know, like where it's happens on the Thursday, but you know, you got you Friday the, or Saturday coming up to, to yeah. get it back. Yeah. Get the chance to redeem yourself. Right. Yeah. I've had it when I'm hosting too, where like off the top, they're not really digging me. And then like the middle act will get them. And then I'm like, okay, now I can actually redeem myself here. And like, it's nice that you can come back up <laughs> Yeah, and, and kind of turn the tide. But, but you know, headlining, it doesn't happen too often. You also get, when you're headlining, you get the benefit of the doubt often too. Like when they, cause they, they build you up and then right. as long as you're good, 
you know you uh you mentioned that kind of darker style have you always had that was that right from day one or did oh, you yeah yeah and oh, yeah. What, where did jokes. that come from was that were you influenced in some way by certain comics or was that just kind of always the type of humor that you enjoyed the genesis of like of it probably comes from like my dad has a dark sense of humor so i picked that up early and then uh so i always found you know that type of stuff funny and uh as i'm trying to think if i if i really look back what kind of shaped my sense of humor early is the movie problem child problem child one and two super dark funny movies but if you watch those movies they hold up and they're really funny still it's not just like you know the bad kid it's just not it's not just the concept it's like everything that happens in that movie is super layered and funny and and I i remember like finding that hilarious as a kid and and one and two both super dark funny movies and and i it just i think that warped me early <laughs> and just set me on a course and, and stand up wise andrew dice clay i remember being i guess i was intrigued by what this is because i was in a movie store and you know young people might not relate to this but you, we used to go to the movie store back then yep. and uh, you'd see all the boxes of the movies with the vhs tapes and i just remember seeing like this this one with this guy he's got this like you know shiny leather jacket and uh it's you know it says dice rules guaranteed to offend i'm like what is this like and then you know it just i just love the arrogance oh yeah and i love i always found arrogance so funny like i love watching someone who's arrogant rub other people the wrong way i think that that's so fun to watch and I like, and I love being like, like a mock arrogance is so funny to me and, and seeing how it like, it drives people berserk. So watching wrestling was probably a big influence on me. You know, like I love Rick, the model Martel, people like that. Wow. <laughs> you know wow. Like really, really <laughs> elaborate um, million dollar man, Ted DiBiase. I love how they, like oh, they just yeah. drive people berserk. I do love the wrestling villain. Rowdy Roddy Piper was my hero. You know what? Going way back when I was a kid, my mom says I always cheered for the villain when I was like young. So like, like, you know, two, three years old, Rowdy Roddy Piper was my favorite when he was a bad guy, like WrestleMania one type shit. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so, wow. so, so I was into that that like heel culture, I think. And it, it, I, I've always ran with it. Um, but yeah, Dice Clay, Eddie Murphy. I love that, that brash charismatic um, say whatever the fuck you want, that type of freedom that, that really appealed to me, especially as an adolescent, uh, you know, early high school that definitely set, set things in motion. They're like, oh, okay, I want to be one of these guys. And, and I remember thinking like, you know what, maybe I just want to write and, you know, write, like I was thinking maybe I want to write for like Saturday Night Live or write for other people. But once I did stand up the first time, I'm like, I don't need to write for anyone else. Fuck them. Like this is, I'm going to take these and get the glory. <laughs> oh, hey, what's up, guys? I hope you're enjoying this episode of Lease and Learned. Thank you for uh, being here. Thanks for watching the show. I'm just having a quick coffee break with Rampage Coffee, my favorite coffee in the world. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this company, but they're doing huge things. It's a husband and wife owned 
company. Canadian-owned, Canadian-made, baby. Owned by a husband and a wife together. They work together every day. Could you do that with your husband or your wife? A lot of you are shaking your head right now. You can't believe it. These people work together day in, day out. Delicious specialty coffee roasted fresh and delivered right to your doorstep. You can become a Rampage Coffee member and subscribe to get coffee delivered to you as often as you want at a discounted price. You can also earn rage points and use them to buy coffee and merchandise like this hat, this t-shirt here, which is, I love it. It's my new favorite shirt and a coffee mug with a gun on it. How many coffee mugs do you have that have a gun on the side? I bet the answer is zero because that was my answer before I got this. They've got a high caffeine blend that'll kick your ass in gear. They got medium, dark, and espresso blends. Espresso. I always say espresso, but it's espresso. You can try all four of the blends in the sampler bundle. I have tried it. I recommend it, and I recommend you get some. Head on over to their website right now. Get yourself some coffee right to your doorstep. And a huge thank you to Rampage Coffee for sponsoring this episode of Lease and Learned. This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in, in the world. I was gonna say in the country, but no, in the world. They have some of the greatest food I have ever had. Every single time I eat there, I think to myself, it will never get better than what I have just eaten. And the next time I go back, they top it once again. It's that good. If you live in the Sarnia area, make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner, or hell, book your reservation for both right now. Do it tonight. What are you gonna cook for dinner tonight probably something awful don't do that head on over to the big fish steak and lounge if you don't live in sarnia i suggest you make a trip down just for the food or if you're going to be in the area stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have have you found that your style uh has it uh, hurt you like in, in certain ways? Have you had pushback with clubs, bookers, festivals, anything like that? Because it's a bit of a darker style. I think that, you know what? I, I don't think that there's really anyone in this country that's like me. So I think it, that makes it a little bit of a, um, if you're booking a safe thing, that's, you know, a lot of the, the festivals are CBC, related they're you know a little bit corporate clean um or or they're they're not clean but they're not you know don't say something that's off the handle you know what i mean yeah when they have their what they do is they they book the clean comics for their galas and then they double dip off of those comics and they because they just think that those comics can do the dirty show too why bring someone in specifically for the dirty show when we can just use the guys who are already here? So there is a little bit of that. I understand that like booking a festival, you want to get, you know, the most bang for your buck if you can. But I do think that there is, there is that too. So, so if you are doing, um, if you're notorious for a darker or dirtier style, you, you know, you narrow the road of maybe who is going to 
think of you first. Like they're not going to think of when they think of clean comedy, they're not going, Oh, Tyler Morrison's the perfect guy for this. You know what I mean? Right. Even though I can do clean comedy and I feel like I have proven it. I've done CBC things. I've done showcases where I've done very well working clean, but I just don't think that, you know, if they can book a guy every two years who is, I guess maybe my, um, Dem whatever the the demographic that they you know how they book they book these things like they're um like they're sitcoms you know they want to have a diverse right. lineup and you know there's only room for a couple straight white guys right now yeah. and you know if, if there's a guy who they've used before that is is already proven clean that they know is the you know similar to me they're not going to take a chance on me they're going to use the guy that they've used before who's done well for them so i don't i don't like have i don't begrudge any anyone like that for that but in the same end you know it'd be nice to see people taking a few more chances in this country um, just in the, in content, I, I mean, I think we just need more, I think we just need more, con more people doing content. So people have to compete because there's only so many spots and it's like, they don't have to compete with anyone. Yeah. So yeah. like, if you, you know what I mean? Like in America, they have to compete. So people are taking some risks to compete. Whereas in Canada, you just play safe, right? You, you know, you're going to book the safer thing to keep, you know, keep your job safe. But in America, there is a little bit of competition. And and it, I think Canada can have that. We just have to be more uh, industrious ourselves. We have to create our own things and, and get get the audiences because, you know, the networks and the, uh, you know, the bookers and people who, who are involved in comedy and TV and all that, they, they, re they respond to numbers, right? Yeah. If, if I'm going to sell a thousand seats, they're going to book me. Right. <laughs> they want to make money off you like it's it's a money right. game so so there is that you know when people say be undeniable it's it's not necessarily be undeniable that you're so funny because they'll still deny you but if you're undeniable at the box office that's a whole other thing because yeah. they'll never deny money that's a great point yeah absolutely it's really about yeah the, i would say the industry is really I mean, it always has been, but especially now is really about ticket sales. It's it's like, yeah. how are you yeah. selling tickets? Are you a YouTube star? Are you Instagram? You know, the, the yeah. festival stuff, the days of like um, somebody getting plucked out of something at a festival because somebody thinks they're going to be good is sort of not over. I'm sure that still happens, but it's uh, not I don't think it's as common now as who can put the most people in the most seats. Exactly. And, and, and like, I don't begrudge, like I said, I don't begrudge anyone that hasn't like, like, you know, bought into me on that side of it. Like, that's just they They do what they do. And the people that have, I've just, you know, gravitate more towards them because I know who's got my back in the industry and I know who maybe is, is hesitant and, uh, you know, got a pretty good idea who doesn't like me, but it's like, it's it, that's neither it doesn't matter as long as i'm doing my own thing because because i could conform to what they want and play the game and wait in line for the little cookie to get on this or get on that but that's not what it's about for me for me it was like okay what what am i going to be as big as i can be by playing that game or do i have to just focus on you know instead of swimming against the against the stream by trying to work clean and trying to fit into their boxes. I just got to like focus on what do I do best and become great at that. 
and right. whether that rubs this people the, that way the wrong way or you know whoever let them jump on board when it's their time to jump on board or get the fuck out of the way because i'm going one way and it doesn't matter and i i say this to like any young comic build your army now don't worry about what these people are doing like there are guys that can play the game and if you if you find that you're skillful in that and you can play the game then play the game right some people still get on the trough getting on the trough that'd be fucking great right getting a little little you know little cookie every now and again from the industry who doesn't love a freebie i love getting a little freebie yeah hey throw me a freebie once in a while guys i'm still nice like just because on stage i'm a dick (laughs) i'm a nice guy off stage yeah um (laughs) yeah but but yeah you just i just kind of said okay i'm focusing solely on my act and on my material and i'm gonna let the material do the talking i'm going to build up a body of work that if I was to die tomorrow, I would be proud that I've done this and gotten to have the experiences that I've gotten. I've taken, you know, not take it for granted all the cool opportunities that I've had, because if you, if I sit back and look at the opportunities I have got just from, you know, working hard and, you know, knowing, having, you know, making good relationships, I mean, I'd be a real fucking bitch if I was complaining about what I've got in this industry, you know what I mean? Just cause I haven't got that. Right. Um, you know, man, like how many people can say that they've got an opportunity to go on stage at Massey hall for 3000 people. They weren't there to see me specifically. I've just got the opportunity to perform for that many people. And like, I, I remember thinking like, I can't wait to do this when it's when they're here for me, but like at the same end, just getting that opportunity to taste that, like, that's cool. Like you, you can't deny that, right? And was that was that opening for Stanhope? No, that was uh, the Yuck Yucks uh, uh, Massey Hall uh, New Year's Eve show. That oh, they, the New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like, so, yeah. you worked with Stanhope uh, a couple times, right? Uh, one time. So Doug was in uh, Toronto, and uh, I got the call from uh, Mace Galoni, actually, because Mace had opened for him. Uh, when he was in Hamilton, or sorry, not in Hamilton, but Mace is from Hamilton. But when Doug was there the last year, and then Mace had moved out to Vancouver. So when Doug's people asked uh, Mace to open for him in Toronto, he said he's, he's not out there, but he recommended me. And so and I think he recommended a couple people and they ch- they checked it out and, and they got in touch. And I, Mace called me to tell me that they wanted me to open for, for Doug. So I was like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, like, that was amazing. one of the times, too, I think, where maybe I didn't have like a lot, like a huge string of like hits going. Like the momentum was maybe just like, you know, neutral at the time. And then I was like, Oh, this is getting that call, man. That just makes you feel so good. It was like one of those ones where like when the phone rings, you're just like, fuck like this. Finally, I get something good coming my way. And like that one felt real good that, and, and then it, and then it just like, the show went great. And he was like, Doug was such a cool guy to me. He was so, so nice. Like you don't, you don't really want to meet guys that are like are your favorite comics. Cause like they could be assholes, yeah. but uh, yeah, he certainly wasn't that. And so, I was, you know, that was a, that was a really cool experience. And, and I made lots of new like fans from that show. They, you know, a lot of people come out to my shows and they, they hit me up and say, we saw you at this. And, and we, now we're bringing all of our friends. I love when that happens. Like that's the oh, best yeah. advertisement you can get as a dark comedian in Canada is opening for a comedian. Who's in that kind of, uh, I guess that genre of comedy that has a big following. If you can get that opening spot, that's more valuable than doing a CBC gala and pretending that you're a clean comic. 
So, you know, getting because you because you're actually making fans, you you can convert their fans over to you because the, now they now Canadians get to see, hey, we have someone that does this style of comedy here. We've just never been exposed to it before. And so those those opening slots are crucial. Um, what is the most uh, you strike me as a person who would enjoy someone coming to see you and being horrified by what they heard? Not not everybody, not like <laughs> not a full room, but just like say there's a say there's 200 people and 199 of them are dying laughing. And there's one person that's just absolutely horrified. <laughs> so you seem like somebody who would not that not that it's what you're trying to do, but just somebody who would enjoy the look on their face. Am I right or wrong? I think you're wrong. And I'll tell you why. Because I, my goal is to get those people on board. I want to convert everyone to like go as far as they will go with me. And I don't like when people resist and they have, I find people aren't offended so much as they are. They have their guard up these days. People talk about how comedy fans are so easily offended. I don't think that's the case. I think it's that they have their guard up now because of all the noise on social media and all the crying and trying to cancel people now the average common person that's gotten into them like that's like penetrated how the mainstream operates and and now everyone second guesses themselves so when they go to a comedy show it's like that corporate situation now because when you used to do a corporate show if the lights are on and the boss is there no one wants to be seen laughing in front of the boss at something that's maybe inappropriate well right. now it's like there's this like invisible boss at every show that might get you in trouble if you laugh and people are really guarded. It's like, so the first part of the show, you're trying to get them to unfold their arms. Then you're trying to get them to let their shoulders down. And then you, so you're trying to break their guard every single show now. And, uh, and that's why it's sweet when you get a show like Doug Stanhope or Andrew Schultz, when the fans are there specifically for that, then you can go on and just kill because it's like, oh, yeah, we're they're all the guards already down. Right. They've already subscribed to this. They've already, um, you know, consented that when they came in, this is what we're here for. Whereas, you know, on the in the comedy clubs, people still go to the comedy shows uh, to see comedy as a genre, not as a uh, to see the end of a specific act. So when people don't Google me or YouTube me and I'm playing is you know i'm the the last you know the headliner of the club that weekend and they show up and they're scowling at me it's like who don't who doesn't google what they're going to see like do you not like watch the preview of a movie at least before going to see it like what are you yeah. doing and and why are you at a comedy show when you are so stuck up and and just don't want to get into it so I, I do get a little bit annoyed by those people but i don't mind ruining their night but it's like i'd rather them have a good time <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's yeah. kind of funny to me afterwards. It's all, it's, it is funny afterwards, the train wreck, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I, like I enjoy, like it, it, there is a sick level of, you know, okay, if you're going to be an asshole, I'm going to torture you. But right. at the same end, like I, my first choice and, and I've always wanted to be, it's always, I want to be funny first. Like offensive is just part of it. Offensive is funny because, you know, you should be saying stuff that people, can't see see anywhere else when you come to a comedy club that's what you want that's what you should want to see is in here is things that you're not supposed to hear anywhere else it's like this there's like a 
an energy about about live stand-up where it's, there's, there should be an element of danger to it, I think, that makes it exciting, that makes it fun. And when you, you know, you want to just see, I think it also falls on, on our industry a little bit for pushing a little bit too much pablum to people in the mainstream, like, you know? Yeah. Maybe they're too, they're too used to having their bum bums powdered by what's on TV, you know? We yeah. Came to see, we came to see the CBC show. It's like, well, pay more money. <laughs> go, go to the, go to the theater for that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Do you, do you have a, you must have a few of these, but what's the most um, like horrified somebody has ever been at you or, or has anybody ever like tried to attack you or, or anything crazy like that? Oh yeah. I've had a bunch <laughs> of that. <laughs> Try to think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just think. I've, I've probably made at least 10 women cry like during shows wow. like that happens. But I feel like a lot of that is not me singling someone out. It's just that I've said something that's like, they've come out to the show and they're not prepared to hear that it's baggage that they brought in with them. Cause I, there was yeah. like a, I was doing a show with Casey Corbin and Nigel Grinstead, both hilarious dudes. Yeah. And uh, we're at this like resort in Calabogie up in the Ottawa Valley. And I was doing my set and everything was going all right. I was in the middle and it was a resort crowd and like a ballroom. And I could tell they weren't really into super dark stuff. So I was playing it a little bit more middle of the road because I'm not on last two. Right. So I'm setting up, I'm setting up Casey at the end. I want it to be a good show. I don't want to like run the whole crowd out of here on them, you know? Right. So I, I don't know what I said, but I guess during the course uh, near the end of my set i turned this table against me in the front but no one heckled me but there was a bit of a commotion next thing i know my set ends and and i'm fine like i'm just chilling at the back and casey's doing a set and he starts getting into it with this table because there there's a problem there and he goes what's going on here and the guy goes there is a woman out in the lobby crying right now because of what that last comedian said. <laughs> I don't know what it was that I said. I have no idea. I have no idea. And uh, I guess her and her, her husband got into a fight, like a domestic in the lobby. And then like the lobby security had to come in, like all the hotel security had to come in and break it up. And so like that happened. And then we thought that these guys, you know, the, the one guy that was getting real mad was a pretty big dude. And you could tell he was one of those like lifer construction worker guys that, right. Oh yeah. It's probably not going to be the first fight that you choose. You know, he's not the first guy that you want to fight, but I remember like Casey's like, we should probably get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Like if this guy wants to fight me, fuck him. Like we'll go. Cause I just don't like the idea of running away. And right. I mean, <laughs> yeah. If I got to go, we got to go. If I lose, all right. But I still think he's in the wrong there because you came to the comedy show to hear jokes. I told jokes. It was all yeah. very clear that it was that. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't yeah. breach my contract. I didn't even single anyone out. It wasn't even Yeah, like it's not that. like you went at her specifically yeah. for something. So, yeah. If someone wants to fight, we got, then we and we got to go. We got to go, right? And and then his buddy comes over. I'm like, all right, here we, here, here we go. <laughs> he comes, and the guy comes over. He goes, guys, just got to say, really sorry for my table. Apologizing for the table. He's like, you guys are hilarious. That's on them. He's like, what are you drinking? He buys us all drinks. I'm like, see, if we had a fucking nice. ran away, we wouldn't have got drinks. 
<laughs> so, but but yeah, sometimes people get worked up. I, I know that like on my uh, my stand up special that I shot there, the it's called Too Soon. It was there's at least twenty people walked out of the show. There was a, they had to carry really? a guy in a wheelchair out. <laughs> they had to carry him out of the club, and then there was uh, an old man wanted to fight me after the show. How old? He gave me the, you see, he was like seventy probably. Oh wow! And you see him flip me off at the very end as I'm walking off. We had an altercation, and I didn't like full transparency. I cut the altercation that I had with him during the show out of the special because it was also being released as an album and i want he interrupted me in the middle of a bit that i really wanted on it and we were recording the two shows yeah. so i kept the bit on as opposed <clears throat> to you know the interaction wasn't anything special it was actually kind of like a a bit of a dip in momentum i i don't feel like it, it went that good he didn't speak english very well so it just wasn't like a it was just it was just kind of like uh a bit of a buzzkill on it. And then yeah. I had to dig out a little bit because it got awkward. And there was like the security should have just thrown the guy out, but they're like dealing with like at least 10, 15 people at that point that are like wanting refunds. And <laughs> <laughs> and I was doing well with the, for the majority of the crowd, but there is definitely, I'd say there's a hard 25% that are hating me on this special. And like, I left it, I left it, you know, pretty bold. What, what happened in the room um but at, at the end so i so i kind of dig out of that and i and i changed my closer that i was gonna do because i could just tell the crowd is not going to go with this closer that i was gonna do right and it was because it's a long one it's like a 10 15 minute bit where it's there's some bumps and bruises if you're if i'm killing i will go there but if and, and I probably would have went there too if I wasn't like, if it wasn't like a clear cut kill. But at this point I felt like I needed to send a fuck you to everyone by killing. Like I had to close, close on a kill as the fuck you. Like yeah. that's how my mind works. It's always, how do I get one up on these motherfuckers that don't like me? <laughs> Absolutely. So, so I, so I close on like a different bit and it goes really well at the end. And as I'm walking off, I see him start jawing at me again, right? He's front row starts yipping at me so i look at him and i give him the old wwe style uh bad guy wrestler move i blow a kiss at him i'm like just air kiss you see, and you can see me air smooch if you is this attention. from the stage or are you it's, off stage now i'm yeah. walking off the stage but the camera's oh. right there and catches this exchange perfectly and i i blow the kisses i don't and i turn the head and i just walk straight to the green room and like I just grab a beer and go right right up to the green room and chill. But as I'm walking off, after I blow the kiss, you see him just flip me off. And then the camera zooms in on the middle finger and freezes on that. And that's how the special ends. <laughs> it's, I think it's like one of the most punk rock things I've ever seen, regardless of whether it was me. It was just I thought it was so funny that uh, Tyler Shazma, who who filmed it, he and I think those were those guys involved in uh, in your specials, too. Yeah, they were involved in one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah so, years ago. so they're great guys, right? The Silver yeah. Drop Media, and they do they do awesome stuff. And and uh, the fact that he caught that flip off was like the greatest thing for me. I'm like, oh, that's so good. I'm so happy that he that he got that because it was pretty funny. And and then the old yeah, the old man wanted to fight me after, but I'd rinse an old man. You know what I mean? Like a fucking yeah, one yeah. punch, you Charlie. You're going down, and you know, I'm not above it, but. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh shit. So he never, so nothing, nothing physical ever no, happened. It no, was just nothing physical happened there. I mean, other shows. Yeah. I've had brawls like a few where I, uh, what happened? Oh, there's a biker one time. This is early in my career. I was like 19. I think I was doing like a house party show and there's like oh, 400 God. people and it was like all different ages. It was like how many people? Friend, like 400 people there at a house party. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, out in the shit. woods, man. It was out in the woods and this biker was there and he, he starts heckling me and comes on stage and I'm like, Oh shit. Like this guy's a big guy and he's really drunk and, and he, but he wanted to tell a joke. So this is 19 year old. Like they say, never give up the microphone, but like, I don't know if that's, I don't know, man. He wanted to tell a joke and he was drunk. I'm like, if I give this guy the mic, he's going to embarrass himself. And so I think I'm better off letting him embarrass, embarrass himself than me embarrass him. Right. So I, so I give him the mic and they boo him off the stage. And then I get to Amazing. make a couple jokes as he's walking off type thing, you know, and, and just move into the show, move right back in. And that's what happened. And he was, he was embarrassed. So he left the party, I guess, but he had a couple friends that were just like his little hang around, like guys who, you know, they weren't, they weren't uh, part of any affiliated or, you know, I don't even know what he was. I, I'm not going to say if he was it, <laughs> anything, but the, uh, the guys that were with him, they weren't, you know, they weren't hardcore bikers or anything. They're just, couple punks that wanted to impress him and so one of the guys broke a beer bottle and tried to come at me and someone at the party like an older guy got a hold of him and got the bottle off of him and people started pushing these guys to the like there's a long like you know driveway like a like a stone driveway right like it's just country roads goes out so everyone's like kind of like there's like a mob of people pushing these guys back to the edge of the driveway to get them off the property. And they're still yapping. And I'm up at the front talking shit. And uh, the one guy is like my age. He's like 18. The other guy's thir- I think he was 36. And this is one. I was 19 and the other guy was 19. And then the, the other guy was 36. And then I just look over my shoulder and my best friend comes running in. He just punches the younger guy right in the face and just drops this kid. And he gets on him and starts pounding him. And I'm just like, yes. So I grab the other guy, the older guy, and I start feeding him his lunch <laughs> I, like i start up the chainsaw on this fucking duster <laughs> and i go i just i just go to work and i just yeah. i know i got him like i got him like all tied up and i just got the, you know when you're i don't know if you know this but like the feeling of like when you got the rhythm on someone and you're just pumping them feels so good because you know they got nowhere to go they're all disoriented but we we're on the road now and there's like no street lights. So you can't really see it's pretty dark next. <laughs> next thing I know, like one of my other friends jumps in and starts like beating on this guy with me. And I didn't like that. Cause I'm like a one-on-one guy. Like I don't subscribe to uh, you know, gang beating anyone. I don't think that's cool. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm in the middle of the fight. Like what, what am I supposed to do next right. thing? You know, I just hear Tyler, you're hitting me. I was just punching my friend too. Cause I couldn't see anything. So, but he did, that's what he gets. Cause he don't gang beat someone. You know, that's not cool. Right. That's not my style. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hit my friend. I hit, hit this guy, this other guy. Anyway, that's, that was like early in my career, that type of shit was happening. And then, uh, you know, I had a couple more scraps afterwards, but nothing, nothing since I was like probably early mid twenties. I've been, you know, I got fat and, <laughs> no one wants to fuck with me now. They look like I hit too hard. <laughs> or they t- or they feel bad for me because I'm the old man comic now. <laughs>
<laughs> Man, that's a that is a crazy story. Like that's that's and to happen so early too. Like for you oh, to man. be what what were you like a year in at that point? Yeah, when I was yeah I was a year in, but I would listen when I was a year in, I was doing the craziest shit as a stand-up comic and I had no sense of when to do what joke. Like I just go full guns. It was like, there was zero tact. It was just the darkest, dirtiest. And the jokes were, were funny, but I did also didn't have the command of the stage presence because I I will, you know, I haven't been doing it for, you know, you need 10 years to really find that, you know, like I had like a, a, a put on cockiness or confidence, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't where you, you know, where you're actually truly comfortable with yourself up there. Like that's how I, where I'm at now I can, you know, I can thrive in the moment when there's tension and uh, you know, maybe some discomfort with certain audience members like, like on too soon. That's exactly the, the type of show. Like I'm, I'm like a psychopath out on a joy ride during that show. <laughs> But then, you know, that that type of like confidence that lets so if you show one ounce of, of uh, hesitance or weakness when you're doing that type of material, that's what gives people confidence to go against you. Right. If you show any weakness, they they want to go against you like th- like those drunk dudes. If I showed any sense of weakness on stage, they would have it could have been worse. I could have been getting heckled by 400 people. You know, you have to. Yeah. But you have to feel. You have to be in control. Every crowd, they want a leader. They want to follow a leader. They just want a good leader. If you're not a good leader you sh- and you show weakness, they will tear you down. You have a podcast uh, called The Fight Stories, right? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I got to get a couple more fights. And we've done a few episodes and uh, I'm running out of stories to tell on there. <laughs> um, so what's how did how did that uh, podcast come about? Was it was it based on the like these types of stories and, and just thought we should, uh, we should talk yeah. about these a little bit. Yeah. So I used to have a podcast called rude dudes with Tom O'Donnell and Jared Campbell, and it was such a fun podcast. And one of the things that always stood out to me on that podcast was when we get talking about fights that, you know, that we've been in or, or our guests had been in. And those were always the most entertaining stories to me. And uh, we had a guest on who's a comedian named John Moses, and he's a Toronto guy. He's based out of New Jersey, New York comic for a long time. Uh, really funny dude. And he was on Rude Dudes and uh, telling some fight stories on there. And we got talking after. He's like, I want to do an album called Fight Stories where I t- tell uh, five fight stories, two wins, two losses, and a draw. And I said, that's great. But, like, what about this? What if we did it as a podcast? Because, like, every time we're doing – fight stories on this podcast it's always the funniest hey my Was daughter just poked her head. yeah my daughter just poked her head in the back <laughs> oh, i'm glad it's i'm glad it's your kid at least <laughs> yeah yeah hey uh could you turn the cameras off uh <laughs> <laughs> how many kids do you have two that i know of guys go play have fun i'll see you soon go on the trampoline <laughs> okay father of the year here go play hey, have fun Jump no, around. no one's ever seen no one's ever seen the duality of of me where i'm like actually a good person <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna edit that in post <laughs> oh man um have you uh, have how, how old are they six and three did you did your uh did anything about your comedy or like your style or anything did it change when you had kids at all 
No, not really. I was worried when I like, I always remember like being when I was younger, I was like, I don't know if I want to have kids. Cause I feel like kids might make me like softer. You know what I mean? Cause and it, it is true where it's like, you definitely feel things differently or, you know, you see something in on the news or TV, you can relate a little bit more. I think you, there's things that you can't, can never relate to uh, when it comes to, to kids, if you're not a parent and uh, it's just feelings that you never had before, you know, like making jokes about, you know, dead kids and shit or whatever, but like that shit's still fun to do as long as it's not my kid. Fuck. As long as it's your kid and not mine. No. <laughs> <laughs> I also want to just uh, briefly here before I let you go, talk a little bit about uh, uh, roasting, because um, sure. obviously you're, you're a well-known roast comic. You've um, done a lot of roasts. I think you've written for some roasts as well that you weren't on. Is that right? Yeah, I wrote uh, on a few that I wasn't on. Nothing like like on Comedy Central or anything like that, because I'm not American, right? I don't have the visa. But I wrote... Um, my buddy, Andrew Schultz, who, I mean, most comedy fans know him, but if you don't know who he is, check him out. Very funny stand-up yeah. comic, one of the biggest right now, but he... One of my favorites, for sure. He's the man, right? And uh, he's uh, he roasted the Toronto Raptors in Las Vegas at, like, a, a team event. I think one, one of his childhood friends is uh, Bobby Webster from the from the Raptors, so they brought Schultz in uh, to roast them, and he hired me to write jokes with him for it, and it was... We just, like, totally smash the toronto raptors and that was so fun oh that's awesome i love being you know even if it's not me um writing uh, or uh, performing those jokes i do enjoy writing roast jokes for other people and seeing how they go and then the um i wrote on the big jay okerson roast that they did i don't know i think that was on anthony kumia's compound media i think that's what that was on when they did that so it was big big jay okerson's roast i was writing some jokes for uh for dave smith of legion of skanks on that one. Oh, nice what is the key to a uh good roast joke would you say if anything yeah i try and find the weak spot whatever the person's weakness is and exploit it and hit it the hardest and most like just in the most concise, fastest point A to point B, destroy that person. How do you just take them and break their neck? That's I. When I do roasts, I always want to be the biggest bully on the block. So when I come right. in, I have no respect for anyone. I don't <laughs> give a fuck who they are. I, like when when I did the the Iron Sheik roast for the first time, I was like, and no, like I'm I'm still kind of unknown. Um, but at that time I was really unknown. Like they didn't, I was not notorious for doing any of this. And, uh, so all the comics on the, on that stage had way more credentials than me. There's a lot of Americans and, you know, some celebrities and like Gilbert Gottfried's on there, but I just treated them all like absolute nothing. Like they mean fucking nothing to me. And that's so funny to me being the person that's like, they're going to, all they're going to say about me is that I'm a nobody. But like right. to me, they're nothing. And so like I give them zero respect. So then I'm not uh, in awe of them. And it makes it much easier to just wreck them. So Gilbert Gottfried, the one thing that I said to him that I thought, I don't know why this made me laugh the most about, like it's maybe not the best, it's not like the most, uh, you know, structured or element of surprise. But I, I go, Gilbert Gottfried, my mom was going to come to the show tonight, but she can't fucking stand you. 
And I just think there's something funny about someone's <laughs> mom not like like telling someone your mom doesn't like them, like because it makes you go, oh man, like you you for whatever reason you always want someone's mom to like you, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but I just thought that was fun to do, and then I think I had another one like, uh, um, <laughs> oh shit, um, ah fuck, I can't remember. There's a, there's a bunch of like jokes though that like where I just try and in the shortest amount of time, destroy someone like Tony Hinchcliffe was one of the guys. I, I remember he, uh, I did a joke where I said that uh, Tony Hinchcliffe, I'd tell you to hang yourself, but nooses don't come in V necks. Nice. And it's, it's just, there's, you just find like that one little personality trait or quirk or something. Like he always was wearing those little sweaters. Right. And like, yeah. And Hinchcliffe's a funny fucking dude too, man. So even though he got fake canceled. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's uh yeah. He got in some hot water uh, recently. Yeah. That's yeah. bullshit. What they tried to do to him though. Like you could, if you watch the actual clip that Ari Shafir posted, you can tell he's going for the wrestling heel turn yeah. there. Like it's, it's much more clear. And when, and you can see in his eyes that he's joking and I know him too. So it's, you know, I, I can tell when a guy is like, you know, you got that little glimmer in your eye, right? It's not like hatred, malice, like when uh, when Kramer flipped his shit. But from the other angle, the first angle that came out, it was further back. You can't see his facial expression. So there's right. so many things like that's what happens to comics when they get in this hot water online, too, is when they post the uh, joke just in print. It's in black and white. You lose the element of how did they say it? You lose lose the element of what's the facial expression? Is there like a wink, wink? You know, you you lose that. And comedy is very much uh, 3D. Uh, like stand-up comedy is very much a three-dimensional art form. And when you boil it down and and take out that and put it in 2D, it uh, you definitely lose some of that medium in that context you lose a lot of context when you take away facial expressions and uh and how like the the inflection on their voice and all that so yeah have you ever roasted someone that uh got offended by something you said oh that's a good question i'm trying to think i feel like there's a couple people that were hurt um had their feelings hurt. I'm not going to name names because, like, I don't, you know, I'm not yeah, yeah. trying to, like, they, they didn't, like, really come after me or anything about it. Like, they just had to lay in bed for a couple of days. And... <laughs> but, hmm, was there anyone that got upset? I, I know there's a few people that have, like, you know, I've stung them. I've definitely yeah. stung them. But that's that's it, you know. Like, you're on the roast. You're coming at me. The one time that if I don't go after every single person on there as hard as I can, the person that I don't do that to is going to be the person that gets me, that fucks me up in front of everyone. And then I'm embarrassed because I didn't take a fucking hit at this kid. That's what happens. And that's what I did to everyone else when they didn't know me. And no one wrote any jokes about me. And then I get up to a, just a free at bat and get to go and smash all of them apart. And there's no repercussions. No one can do anything about it. And that's, that's what happens on these things. And so the second, now I'm in a position where I went from the first guy on the roast and no one knowing me to like, now they're putting me in that spot right before, like I'm like last right before the guy's rebuttal who's being roasted. So now I got, you know, on local stuff, mostly like Canadian stuff. Yeah. People, you know, they come, now I know everyone's coming at me hard. So like the second I let off the gas, now I got to smash all these little bitches coming up. 
<laughs> I don't let off the fucking throttle, man. Like the second I let off the throttle and 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 take it easy on someone, I know they're gonna fucking catch my chin. So there's that lots of sense. shit you can make fun of me for. I'm pure fucking scum. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great, man. I really appreciate you uh, doing this. And if people want to uh, follow you on social media, where can they do that? So if you go, you can get me uh, Instagram, Tyler Morrison, one, two, three, follow me on, uh, give me a subscribe on, on YouTube. My channel is Tyler Morrison or, and my podcast is fight stories on YouTube. So those are a good place to start. But if you just type my name in shit should come up Cottagecomedy.com has all my albums and specials and stuff. Uh, you can get, get those. Yeah, how there. many specials and how many albums do you have now? So albums, I got five and then specials. I have four. And like, they're all like, you know, self-produced. I did, I, you know, with and me and Shazma d- did them and, uh, and, and Brandon, uh, from silver drop. So they've been, they've been with me since, uh, 2018. So we've done three of those together. And then, uh, I did one, uh, in 2015 impolitely Canadian. And then my di- my first album is called armed and hammered. And that was just an album, but there's clips and stuff from armed and uh, hammered. That's a sick name. Yeah. Yeah. Are you drunk uh, during the show? You know what? I wasn't actually, I was pretty good. I, I was drinking, I, I was drinking a little bit, but I was, I think I had a cold, so I wasn't getting too stupid. I, I don't know if I was drunk on any of my specials. I was like, I have a couple beers. It's definitely yeah. drinking during them, but I, I'll, if I'm shooting a special, you know, if I got money on the line, I'm going to yeah, wait yeah. a little bit. What is the, <laughs> what is the most, uh, and maybe you haven't done this, but have you, have you had a lot of shows where you have been hammered at all? Oh, buddy. So many, so yeah. many. And well, I can you give me this. one that's like stand out as the most, maybe the most hammered or the craziest Ooh. that uh, something happened on? Yeah. Th- well, just I bombed in front of uh, Joey Fatone from NSYNC. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I just got blackout drunk. Then I forgot my jokes on stage. Where was that? In Toronto. It was at an open mic, though. There wasn't really a crowd. You know what I mean? So, like, it's not you take that loss with a grain of salt. But So, is he just <laughs> randomly there? He was in town shooting my Big Fat Greek Wedding 2. and wow. uh, And so, he was there and uh, he was hanging out, having a few drinks. And then it was just an open mic and we came up and did the show. But, like, we would do our podcast on Sunday nights or on Sunday afternoons in Toronto and just get obliterated. And then people are hitting us up going, Hey, you come down to our show or whatever. Like, you know, cause they know we're in town or so, you know, that's, or I'm in town. So dropping in and, but by that point, it's already too late. It's already too far gone, buddy. I don't know. I'm, there's been a few though. Like I've definitely, I've won and lost. I've won and lost. If I could, I would give back every single one of my drunken kills to get back one of my drunken bombs. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. always feel stupid if you bomb when you're drunk. And yeah. uh, I apologize to anyone who's uh, ever seen me bomb when I was drunk. Well, there you go. <laughs> there's no, there's no better way to end than with uh, a sincere apology about well, being tough, drunk. We can't, we we can't do what we do. You know what I mean? Like I, this pandemic, man. I tell you, I feel bad for the bad comedians too, right? Like the comedians who don't, who didn't work before this. Cause like none of all, none of the good comedians are out on the road. Me too. And people now they got nothing to blame us. They got to wait for us to say something racist. 